0: Welcome to the 30th Cersei Salon. Welcome, welcome, to to, welcome to
1: Make Matriarchy Great matriarchy Again. Matriarchy matriarchy matriarchy. Matriarchy. Everybody
2: dance.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank <laughs> Perfect. Welcome, everyone, to the Thirty Four Circe Salon, where we are making matriarchy great again. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and as always, I am here with the war goddess herself,
1: <laughs> Dawn, Dawn Sam <laughs> Alden. Welcome. Hey, Welcome, hi, everyone.
0: <laughs> and we have always our very, very special guest, the High Priestess of Matriarchy,
2: indeed, Vicki Noble. <laughs> hi, Vicki. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> you guys. Welcome, Vicki. A little levity is good. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So,
0: today we are going to talk about the sacred script of old Europe. And this really is something that's fascinating. I don't know much about it. I know Dawn has been reading up on it, and Vicky is this is just right in her sweet spot. Absolutely. But, um, it would be good if we introduce it with our... Um, what I'm calling our new concept, which is uh, essentially called what's the big deal. And hold on just a second, guys. Um, I'm going to do something here. If I can. (laughs) There There we go. Okay. So now we're back. (laughs) So this concept is called what's the big idea? (laughs) Thank you. I had to get that in. So Vicky.
1: Oh, you are a dangerous man with a Foley board. There you go.
0: So Vicky, why don't you tell us what's the big idea with this sacred script? Why do we need to know about this?
2: Well, because it's been so brutally ignored for such a long time in the academy. Mm. Uh, Maria Gimbutas is the person who really brought to light the ancient script of old Europe um, and, and gave it, she embodied it, you know, she gave it uh, a whole interpretation. She has a whole book called The Language of the Goddess. And it's, uh, it was written in order to uh, investigate and express through writing uh, what the old european script was trying to say and and so it's really important that we come back around to it because it's not in our history books and it's not uh, it's not dealt with in archaeological uh, programs you know she's been cast off as we've Talked about before, right. um, as someone who was fanciful and, you know, intuitive and uh, had a feminist agenda, and really, uh, she she had what she had going for her was a very big brain and uh, an incredible reach in terms of her interdisciplinary approach to prehistory
0: let me ask you a couple of things first okay so the big idea here is that this is a script an old script which is used real a very old (laughs) script used primarily or that emanates from this divine feminine spirituality that was used in this this ancient culture of old europe is that a correct way of describing it
2: yes that's a beautiful way of describing it and the current
1: scholarly thinking is that the first script was cuneiform,
2: Sanskrit? Yeah, uh, not Sanskrit. Sanskrit's really late compared. to okay. cuneiform,
0: right, I think cuneiform
2: it was. Cuneiform, writing. Yeah. Okay. Egyptian hieroglyphics. These are the two that we have from around 3000 BCE. And okay. they, uh, each of them came into being with the rise of the state. Right. And so this is really, uh, if you if you were going to date, uh, you know, worldwide beginnings of patriarchy, it would be it would be in Mesopotamia and in uh, Egypt in terms of the the actual structure of the state. Right, right. So again, if it wasn't patriarchy,
1: it didn't exist as a civilization.
2: Yeah, in a way, you know, yeah. one of the ways I describe it is uh, <clears throat> is that, uh, you know, my, I'm trying to read something that's such small print. The, uh, I, I'm saying the undeciphered script was dismissed as not writing because the signs were also symbols inscribed on pottery and so on. And so they were considered art rather than language. Mm. And mainly it was it was created... For the purpose of uh, spiritual expression and right. connection, connection to spirit—that's really what the the more uh, contemporary scholars call right, it. right, right. Before and, before and, we and go, it, I'm sorry. Sorry. Go
0: ahead,
1: go. And the the idea is that there's no way it could be both, right? That it couldn't be both art and language.
2: I suppose and, that's it. You know, we yeah. don't think that way in uh, in Western. Uh, academic society so it's really all about the things we've talked about before in relation to old europe the fact that there was no separation between one's daily life and one's spiritual experience and uh, practice that the the practices of daily life were spiritual practices the practices of agriculture were spiritual religious and the, the writing, uh, it's assumed that the writing was, was kind of like magic for incantation, you know, for ritual. For
1: Hang on just a second. Can you say that little bit again? And It sounded like you, um, you opened the door on the plane that was uh, flying at 30,000 <laughs> feet for just a second.
2: <laughs> okay, I don't know what that was. Um, <laughs> I was saying that the, the, we know this about indigenous people today as well. But basically, the the old European culture and certainly everything that led up to it from much earlier, thousands and thousands of years earlier in the Paleolithic, what we see is that it was religious. There's something religious happening. You know, it's uh, it's a little bit what I talked about before about uh uh alexander Marshak's work i don't know if you remember but i i love him because he he did the the calendar bones he did the microscopic uh investigation i remember
0: you mentioned that yeah
2: yeah he's brilliant but he he the way the language he used to talk about these paleolithic cultures and the the female figure at the center was he talked about it as a storied tradition and I just think that's so beautiful, such a beautiful mm. way of, of talking about what we call oral tradition. You know, uh, it, it's a it's a you know non-writing, non-written, uh, and non-linear understanding and experience of being in nature, being in you know, being related to nature, being part of nature, mm-hmm. and it's. And- uh,
0: Sorry, so go ahead. Got bit, oh, yeah, no, I just wanted to just jump okay. into before we go too far down. I just want to give the listener, Vicki, what's the time frame of this script? And we'll come back around to it. But what's the time frame? Because you've said that 3000 BC, we're talking about the Egyptians, Cuneiform, uh, the Babylonians. So what are we looking at in terms of this ancient script first?
2: Well, it's 2000 years earlier.
0: So it predates what? Yeah. Contemporary scholars look at it as the beginning of alphabet, the beginning of writing by yes, two millennia.
2: And therefore, because writing is one of the key features of what they call civilization,
1: right? So
2: the way that they have in the past uh, delineated um, culture and civilization, it, mm-hmm. it has to do with writing. So the beginning of linear forms of writing, uh, the Sumerian and the and the Egyptian, um, is then the beginning of quote, civilization. So there's a big problem with that because the old European civilization was a highly evolved one, and it's recognized by many scholars, but it's uh it's been really erased and ignored and resisted by the more orthodox uh british and american archaeologists and historians
0: before we dig into that a little more could you go back and just say a little bit about maria gambutas for the listeners who may not be as familiar i would imagine most people listening to this would have some familiarity with her but it might be good just to share a little bit more about her and what in terms of what you're just saying the scholarship dismissing so much of it what really the reason is for that conflict, because she has a very long and distinguished scholarly record up until the point she begins to talk about matriarchy, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> they didn't like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, well, so she she was born and raised in Lithuania. And uh, as a teenager, where's that sound again? Yeah. As a teenager, she... There we go. She uh, collected folk songs and, uh, like in the thousands, and you know became an expert in her own uh, folklore and uh, the the folk art that was around her and is still there in Lithuania even today. Um, anyway, she eventually emigrated to the United States during World War II, um, and was given an office at Harvard in the beginning. She had already written books that were uh, highly accomplished about the Bronze Age. So she was quite renowned as a Bronze Age archeologist, but she didn't begin the, uh, the real uh, exposition of the goddess civilization until she uh, moved to UCLA. I don't know when that was—the '60s, maybe—and um, she ended up in the '70s, beginning this. She she also dug herself. She was a scientific archaeologist, and she dug in uh, Thessaly in Greece. And from her digs, she made her assessments. But she already knew so much. You know, archaeologically, she she read in eighteen different languages, so she could primary sources. I mean, she was really an amazing scholar, one in a million. You know, and she had a, a quite a strong uh, interdisciplinary approach, which uh, is is not always appreciated in archaeology. They've become very specialized, uh, but anyway, her. Specialty then became uh, these, these earlier strata that she was seeing in the digs she was doing, where, where underneath and earlier than the Bronze Age was a, an entirely different culture that was female-centered. You know, they, they have uh, excavated, I think, mo- something more than 100,000 female figurines from these cultures of old world.
0: How many are you still there, Vicky? It seems like we may have lost you.
2: No, uh, it's oh, a strange good. sound that's happening. I don't know why it's happening. Is it on my end?
0: Well, you know, I we had mentioned it's probably not best to be in a 747 during the podcast, but <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
1: It sounds uh, I don't know. A,
0: it's, yeah. Is there a sorry.
1: fan or an air conditioner? On? No, not here. No? Huh. It keeps it's, happening like a. Yeah.
2: Like a toilet. It sounds,
1: yeah, it sounds Wait. almost like when when you turn a certain way, or when Sean turns a certain way. I don't know. Um,
2: yeah, I'm hearing it. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. My on your are, end. Are you saying
0: yeah. my power extends that far north? I yeah. Had, I had thought Dude, something. I think we're being jammed. That's my own conspiracy yeah. theory.
2: Yeah? <laughs>
0: so,
2: <laughs> Let's go with that. They never have luck for me again, but
1: is so true
0: it's so true all right so she is she would she had done now let me ask you about the her um but the the fact that she decided that these figured that this was a goddess-centered or a female-centric culture you said there were a lot of female figurines found what were they what's the number of female figurines in relation to the number of male depictions in art that we find in these cultures?
2: Oh, about a hundred thousand to two.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's,
2: not, that's not significant at all. I, yeah. <laughs> <That okay>. so, <laughs> <Otherwise, who cares? laughs>
0: well, you know, it's funny, we laugh and it's so ridiculous, but it really is the kind of thing. I just have to tell a quick aside. There was a show on recently about three nights ago, about the Viking warrior queen that was found. Uh, the bones were found. It was first determined as a male. There's it's The bones were only buried with weapons and shields and two horses and a strategy game and the kind of thing that only they've ever seen buried with warriors and high-status warriors. So there was no question about this was a warrior grave. And then when, in the last 20 years, they found and did DNA analysis and determined this... This is a lady, as they say. Um, This was definitely female. Suddenly the question became, okay, whose weapons are these?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) It's really amazing. So, What
2: do these
1: weapons represent other than weapons?
0: (laughs) Exactly, because they can't possibly be hers. So 100,000 to 2 makes perfect sense that they'd have some questions about it. I mean, of course they do, right?
2: It's funny that you're going in this direction because I have so often thought it would be a riot to do a comedy routine about archaeology and archaeologists and the the basic resistance that comes up, you know, and the crazy contrived uh, narratives that are forced to yes. In order to avoid the obvious. Right? Oh,
0: we're going down that road, Vicki. Don't you worry. <laughs> we're, we're going down that road. Yes, it is. It's really funny. I mean, the, uh, in the episode I watched, one of the scholars who very much was like, this is absolutely a warrior woman. This is silly to think otherwise. But he said that when it was revealed at a conference that the DNA analysis just incontrovertibly improved that this was a woman. He said there were two reactions. There was his reaction, which was "Wow," and then there was another reaction, which was "No." no. So, <laughs> anyway, so okay, so she's found this this abundance of evidence that this is a female centric culture.
2: Yes, um, and uh, and that you know I like to say matriarchy, but uh, people are confused by that term because they think it means female dominance. And she's she found as all scholars of matriarchy find even in contemporary cultures that it's never about that it's always about uh, women as a group, the female as a metaphoric representation of mother earth the, uh, the the expression the ability to to conceive life to carry life to nurture life these are the things that are expressed in these uh, in these cultures, in the art, and the, and even in the script. The, the script uh, is made of, um, as one scholar put it, symbols encoding ancestral memories were distilled and abstracted into signs whose messages were collectively understood. See, this mm-hmm. is going back to Marshak's story tradition, The wow. people understood and, and uh, played a ritual part in these renewal ceremonies and because we know they had a calendar that uh, was cyclic in time and not linear Mm. Uh, and so the ritual life of the community revolved around that cyclic uh, energy of of birth death and regeneration the the eternal renewal the eternal return Um, And so that's very important. You really, you have to suspend our modern linear consciousness, you know, in order to even feel into that because we, we so ignore the cycles of ebb and flow in our culture. We're just about growth, you know, and it's, uh, it's and it has,
1: it has to be uh, eternal growth, like we have to keep growing. We have to keep Ooh. growing the economy. We have to keep growing right. productivity. We have to keep growing. And yeah. you cannot have continual growth without, um, without decline, without those moments of decline and, and restocking and regeneration before you can have growth again. The, the world yeah. around us is perfect proof of that.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm astonished at looking at the way people interact with what's happening in the world now with the notion that we can just keep bulldozing right through what nature has set down in front of us, yeah. rather than realizing we need to kind of restock and rebuild and reimagine, to
2: well, simply I, reimagine
0: how we do things.
2: It's kind of like imagining that we would only breathe out. Right. And never, never breathe in. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, that's
1: brilliant. That's brilliant.
2: So, what Gimbutas actually said about the script, uh, in an overview kind of way, is that it it was a cohesive, and persistent, ideological system, and she uh, really promoted the idea that it was sacred, and nice. and, uh, and that that is occasionally repeated, but that usually sort of causes a yawn in the uh, in the establishment.
1: Uh,
2: uh, but it's uh, it's important to think of it not as uh, linear writing because it was not the kind of writing that you see in canoe film. Uh, it, it wasn't about telling epic stories. It was abstract visual communication and, and the communication was related to this life inside of nature. And so, uh, you know, That's something we've been talking about for
0: weeks here, right? Well, could you explain maybe what the resistance is about the understanding or the perception of this script as being a means of communications? In other words, is there something you're saying that this script communicates? How does it do that? And why do scholars think of that as something different than what cuneiform and hieroglyphics did two millennia later?
1: Can I break in before Vicki sure. answers that wonderful question and just make a point? Yes. Um, we were talking earlier about how art art versus language, right? If it's art, it can't be language. It can't be both. Um, and if it's language, it can't be art. But I think about modern art criticism and how it it embraces and makes full use of the idea that images and symbols can be used and are used as a method of communicating both ideas and information in art. Exactly. So, so for instance, if we see, you know, the Campbell's soup can, or if we see um, the, uh, that specific uh, collection of, uh, or that specific portrayal of color. That was used in Obama's "Yes, We Can" change hope. That sort of um, uh, when when he was campaigning the first time for president. If someone does a, another poster of that with someone else's face or with a different image, but using that exact same representation of color and shadow, it instantly calls back in our culture. Obama and his campaign and all of the ideas and all of the feelings and all of the messages that came from that campaign. It's shorthand. And why is it such a hard thing to imagine that that exact same principle of using a symbol or an artistic image or... um any of anything that was a shorthand in the culture cannot be used to also convey language well
2: you're talking about what scholars call pictograms or uh, abstract uh, ideograms you know and mm-hmm. uh, these uh, they separate that from linear writing it's one of the ways that they mix the idea of the. Right. Old- in script being writing and so what the what the scholars who are who believe that it is a written script are saying is that those ideograms uh contained both of the of the things you're talking about right simultaneously that Um, a hieroglyph was both a bird and the word bird uh uh-huh that's nice yeah yeah um it's really important too for our other discussions that we've had because it, the old European script has in it so many things that we see later uh in Crete, uh in linear A. Uh I found a wonderful, a couple of wonderful articles by Harold Harmon um, and Joan Marler, uh who are both part of the archaeomythology uh. Website and grouping um, that Maria Gimbutas began in her career. She, I guess, she didn't coin the term archaeomythology, but she created a department at UCLA of archaeomythology. So, archaeomythology is exactly nice. what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. It's, right. it's bringing more to your investigation than uh, simply uh, what's linear and rational. You're right. bringing the visual and you're bringing the, the sacred. The and the intuitive. And the intuitive, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a, a certain quality of interdisciplinary investigation. So, right. uh,
0: could you say their names again?
2: Uh, yeah, Harold Harmon, H A A R M A N N, and Joan Marlar. Joan Marlar was Maria's right hand woman. She uh edited uh, at least one of her books, maybe more, and she went around the world with her. And she at at the end of Maria's life and after her death, it's Joan Marlowe who has continued to work um yeah. under the rubric of archaeomythology. There's a website and uh there's a um journal there's a journal of archaeomythology with wonderful articles and um, what else she uh, she's the person who really uh, went went to all the conferences after Maria's death and kind of filled in for her and then Joan herself uh, sponsored numerous very interesting scholarly conferences uh, in Bulgaria and in uh, we went to Italy once, uh, you know, it, it, she's just been uh, just a gem. She's just been such a contributor uh, with her own profound understanding of the old European culture and communities and also her, her amazing comprehension of all of Maria Gimbutas' work and, and what she was trying to accomplish. And Joan and I had the really wonderful privilege of spending time with Maria at the end of her life in her home down in Topanga, where we basically priestessed her a little bit and did some healing and, you know, just spent that kind of quality time with her up to her death.
0: Wow. She uh, left an extraordinary imprint, obviously, in all this. We're still talking through and working through this particular these particular um, things that she uncovered and the fact that one they're still controversial this many years later, but at the same time that there's a lot of recent discoveries that are actually confirming the things that she had posited
2: Yes much earlier. And that's so important. That's happened uh, fairly recently in the last five years or so.
0: That ends part one of our episode on the sacred script of matriarchy. In part two, we discuss the specific symbols used in this sacred script in the civilizations of old Europe. You've been listening to the 34 Circe Salon.